Thanks for tuning into the Bridge Church Podcast. Our hope for you is that you would feel the welcome home of Christ wherever you're listening from today. We pray that this message encourages you in your faith journey to be with Jesus and become like him for the sake of the world. Let's dive in. Uh, I have a confession. I love In-N-Out Burger. Anyone else? Anyone? Um, I actually just read that uh, one's coming to Antioch, apparently, so that's a Christmas miracle. But I love, I love In-N-Out Burger for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is because their menu looks like this. There's just something about, right, I'm an easily confused guy. Like, this is my kind of menu. Double-double, cheeseburger, hamburger, french fry. Anyone else? Like just, that's, it's so simple, it's so clear, it's a, it's a thing of beauty, honestly. Uh, in contrast, like when I go to like an IHOP and they slap this down in front of you and you're like, how do I even, you know what I mean? Or like a cheesecake fat, you ever gone to one of those places? You're like, how are you handing me a book right now? Like there's no way you're this good at this many things. Like calling it a house of pancakes is a stretch because now they have burgers and whatever. This isn't an IHOP rant. I'm just saying there's something about the simplicity, the clarity of, of an in and out burger menu. But when it comes to our faith and spirituality, sometimes it can be easy to kind of get drawn into sort of an IHOP approach. Anyone who's been to church maybe for a while, you maybe feel some of this tension. You're like, boy, the, the list of what I'm supposed to do or not do or who I am or what this means can feel kind of overwhelming. So we actually want to take the next three weeks and with the interest of sort of being crystal clear about what it is that we're about. What does it mean to be a, a follower of Jesus? We're calling this series Apprentices of Jesus because that is our aim. More, more than a sermon that you like or songs that you resonate with, it's, it's about discipleship to Jesus, following the way, not just knowledge of, but an actual life surrender. And the way that we articulate that here, you probably heard us say this before, is to be with Jesus and become like him for the sake of the world. Be with Jesus and become like him for the sake of the world. I'm going to unpack that in a second because I think that there's a lot of different ways maybe to interpret that. And, and in an interest of sort of an in and out burger menu type of clarity, we want to walk through what does it actually mean to live this out. In the New Testament, of the 90 times that people talk to Jesus, uh, something like 60 of them he is called a rabbi or a teacher. This can be easy to miss, but I think it's actually really important because this has implications for how we follow him. And the word that is used to describe his followers were Talmudine, disciples, or maybe in modern language, apprentices. He calls them to leave their nets in some cases and follow him, not just believe in him, not just admire him, not even, this will like rub some of you the wrong way, not even just to worship him, but to follow him, to surrender, this is why we begin with this, to surrender our lives, to drop our nets, whatever those are, and to follow him. The truth is this, we are all disciples of someone or something. Discipleship is not a Christian thing, it's a human thing. We're all disciples of someone or something. The question is, do you know what it is? What is most responsible for your formation? Now, in the New Testament, the word Christian shows up three times, usually in a negative sense, by the way, but the word disciple shows up 268 times, more than any other moniker to describe these followers of the way. God is not merely looking for converts to Christianity, but apprentices of Jesus. I would say it this way, a church is only as good as its disciples. Conversion is a part of that. The leaving the nets is obviously a part of that. 
But the invitation of Jesus is not just simply intellectual ascent toward him, but a life surrendered to following him. This is apprenticeship to Jesus. So the way that we describe this, uh, because I love a good Venn diagram, I'm a dweeb like that. Here's how this mission statement kind of breaks down in Venn form. Uh, You have the be with Jesus, become like him for the sake of the world. And I would say right here in the middle of the bullseye, that is apprenticeship to Jesus. A way to kind of understand that is through these three words, presence, formation, and mission. Presence is the being with Jesus part. It requires a following him. The formation piece is that we don't just simply hang out with Jesus and remain the same, that we are formed in his image and likeness, but not just simply for our benefit, but for the sake of the world. There's a mission component that we are a, a sent people. And I think there's a lot of different places in scripture that we see this, but maybe the most succinctly is in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter four. We see the invitation of Jesus is this. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me is the come be with me. One of the phrases that was used was to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Follow me so closely See my ways, not just my words. It's not just about his preaching, but his practices. And then he says, I will make you. There's a become piece. There's a formation piece that you, you, the goal isn't just simply to hang out with Jesus and remain the same, but to be formed into a, a new creation, as Paul puts it. But again, not for our sake, but for the sake of the world, to become fishers of men. There's a mission. You spend enough time with Jesus, be formed enough into his likeness, you will not remain stationary. He will send you. You will see your life as a sent person. We'll talk about that more in uh, week three. So today we're talking about the first one, being with Jesus. So just to kind of get out of the way, cards on the table. um, My aim and goal for all of us is a new or deepening intimacy with God, full stop. It's not to wow you. It's not for you to like like a sermon series or the songs we choose. It is intimacy with God. That, that is my aim and goal for all of us. And I've always been intrigued by people in the Bible that seem to really get this. Because this is not natural for me. And one of the guys that I, I kind of end up coming come back to is a guy named King David. And he's described as a man after God's own heart. Now, King David got a lot of things wrong but he got this one thing right. And he writes things like this, Psalm 27. One thing I ask, to dwell in your house, O Lord. Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for you, O God. Psalm 63, my whole being longs for you. And when you read the words of David, it's it's clear that what he's describing is not friendship. You mean like, when I see my friends, I don't say any of that to them. And I'm like, how was your weekend? You're like, bro, am I still thirst for you? (laughs) How do I put it? Like a deer pants for the waters, right? Like that would, I would have no friends. No one would hang out with me. Like what David is describing in some cases almost makes us uncomfortable. He's describing a level of intimacy that many of us are like, I like God, but like over there. Or I know some things about God, but he's sort of like a, like a side hug, buddy, buddy, clasp, clasp kind of a relationship. What David seems to understand is so many of these biblical authors is like there's a, a level of intimacy that that's where the transformation takes place. And so Jesus' invitation to his first disciples, I would argue, is the same one for us. Come and be with me. Intimacy, presence, to put it another way, to be present to God's presence in the present. To be so aware of God's presence in this 
present moment, I would argue, is the single most important and transforming task of the follower of Jesus. And this will feel very counterintuitive for a lot of us because so many of us are such doers, right? We gotta go accomplish, we gotta go climb the next hill, and so many of those things can be so good. I think a deepening sense of God's presence and power in the present moment is the most important and most transforming task for the follower of Jesus. The apostle John loves this topic. John chapter 15, Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, what's the word? Nothing. Nothing. And the question that I've had to grapple with is do I actually believe that? I mean, over 50 times in John's gospel, he uses this word remain, or your translation may read abide. It's the word meno, and it means to dwell or to make our home in. A a plant does not grow by dipping it in soil once a week. And yet so many of us are content with treating our spiritual lives like that. The goal, the aim, the invitation isn't to visit the vine once in a while, but to dwell, to make our home in. That's how we bear fruit. That's a really good reminder, by the way, for us workaholics, because how does a branch bear good fruit? By trying really hard? By like really getting my ducks in order and making sure that I like grip my teeth and I like have good thoughts and my motive is strong. No, it bears fruit by abiding in the vine. This is why the Apostle Paul says things like pray without ceasing. I don't think what Paul is describing, by the way, is that we all become monks and go live in the mountains and never talk to anyone or do anything. We just simply pray, right? Some of us picture praying without ceasing as like, oh, I guess I can't have a job. I can't answer emails because I need to be praying without ceasing. There's a guy named uh, Brother Lawrence. He was a, a 15th century Parisian monk, and he wrote a brilliant book called uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. And essentially what he proposes is that the Christ follower needs to learn to live in two places at once. In our modern context, it's like driving to work and in the presence of God, answering emails and in the presence of God, like doing the dishes and in the presence of God, cleaning a diaper and in the presence of God, with coffee with a friend and in the presence of God, learning to recognize God's presence, not just his general presence, but his manifest presence right here and now in both the mountaintop and the mundane and everything in between. And again, I'll be really honest, I am not good at this. Being present is not a strength of mine. I, uh, a couple years ago, this is more than a couple years ago, uh, my mom, so I'm the oldest of seven kids, and um, the class, I say that I'm the oldest for this reason. Anyone with kids, you know how like with your first kid, uh, you have like 17 bins of like photos and crafts and projects, and then like kid number two, you have like two bins, and then like by kid three, you have like a magnet, and it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those kid threes in the room, I'm so sorry. Um, but it's true, and so my mom called me, and she said, hey, listen, uh, I got a bunch of your stuff, and it's taken up a lot of space, and I love you, but you need to come get it. If not, I got to throw it away. I was like, I totally get it. So I showed up, and we're like reminiscing, going through these old photos and journals, and I realized two things. One, I was a weird kid. <laughs> Some of you are not surprised. The second thing, though, I realized is that I was a really bad journaler. I had been trying for most of my life to be a, anyone like a really diligent, disciplined journaler. Like you're just, that's your, you're the holiest people on planet Earth. I'm convinced of it. I was just really bad at it. And so I would start and stop multiple times throughout the years. But like seeing them all in one place, there was a, a theme that emerged. And I realized that I kept using the same phrase over and over again. And the phrase was, I can't wait until. In elementary school, I was like, oh, man, I can't 
I can't wait until I'm in junior high. That's when people really mature, right? Wrong. <laughs> and then junior high, I was like, oh, I can't wait until high school. That, that's when I'll really discover like, what I'm good at or who my people are. And then in high school, it's like, oh, I can't wait until college. That's when things spiritually really start to click and I'll, make, I'll figure out who my, where my crew is. And then in college, like, oh, I can't wait until my first job. Oh, I can't wait until I get married. Or I can't wait until I, I... And I realized as I was reading these journals... It was like God was saying to me, you've been sleepwalking through entire seasons of your life, Ian. Oblivious to the presence of God in the present moment, what he was doing right here and now, because I was so obsessed with what was coming next. Anyone relate to that? It's so hard for some of us to even celebrate what God is doing in the midst of what we're going through because we're already five steps ahead. We're already in the next calendar year. We've already, sometimes with really good intentions, we've made plans for so many other things and I've been sleepwalking. How many of us have been sleepwalking through our life? Dallas Willard says it this way. The first and most basic thing we can do and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. I love that. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. We're going to be distracted, he says, but these habits are not the law of gravity and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional, that's a key word, intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, and I believe that he is, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. The greatest task before us, particularly in a very easily distracted age, is to see God's presence in the midst of our lives right here and now. Now, keep in mind, the goal isn't the practice. The goal is intimacy with Jesus. The goal isn't to become better at pray or bad prayer or better at reading our scripture or any of those things. The goal is intimacy with Jesus because those practices simply help us live in and live out God's love. Now, maybe the classic example of this is Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. And some of you are familiar with the story. I want to pull out a couple of things that uh, may be new for some of us. But here's the, here's the scene, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Uh, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was, what's the word? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Which, by the way, anytime you try to like bully Jesus to do something, things are not going well for you. I would not recommend it. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I read that and I realize that there is a frightening potential for service and ministry to be a distraction from Jesus himself. That we can often do very good things for him and not do them with him. And I say that as someone who has fallen into that trap a lot. It is easy to do good kind of outward facing things, things that will get us applause and accolades and realize deep in our heart of hearts, man, I am unaware. I have been sleepwalking through this season just simply doing good things. To be totally blunt, I struggle with this story because I'm, I'm Martha. I'm way more Martha than Mary. Now I know that for some of us, some of you are more Mary and others of us are more Martha. You might be a Martha if you're a doer, if you're a go-getter. You kind of like gravitate towards activism and getting stuff done. And you might be a Mary if you kind of gravitate towards the contemplative. Practices like silence 
and solitude and stillness. Or maybe you just have toddlers right now and you're like, I just need quiet. Maybe I, yeah, I'd love to be a contemplative right now. You might be a Martha if you consider yourself kind of type A. You might be a Mary if you consider yourself more type B. You might be a Martha if you're kind of like task oriented. You might be a Mary if you're more kind of relationship oriented. You might be a Mary if you distrust planning because it distracts people from listening to God. You might be a Martha if you see prayer only as an introduction or transition to good planning and leadership. You might be a Martha if you, you set your alarm every day and wake up diligently to like a very strict regimen. You might be a Mary if you're like, I let the Lord awaken me. <laughs> anyone, anyone get nudged right now? You're just like, <laughs> when he desires for me to wake, I shall awake, right? I don't know why you speak in the Lord's English, but... Um, now, there's a lot about this context that we don't know. Uh, history tells us that Martha was likely a widow. And in the first century, not dissimilar to today, if someone was coming over, coming over to your house, it was your responsibility to make sure that hospitality was taken care of. So Martha is doing a good, right thing. Now, the Greek word for Martha's serving here is the word diakonio. Let me hear you say diakonio. Here's what I love about this. That word is used positively everywhere else it's used in the New Testament. For example, when Jesus describes himself that he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many in Matthew 20, he uses diakonio. In 1 Timothy 3, when Paul lays out the qualifications for deacons, a role of help and service in the church, this is the word he uses. So Martha is not only welcoming her, her guests, she's practicing good gospel hospitality. What she's doing is good and right. And so Martha uh, says to Jesus this question. She says, Lord, uh, don't you care? And Jesus' response essentially is this. Uh, no, not really. No. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Now, the repetition of her name in Semitic languages is actually a term of endearment. I, I don't think Jesus is scolding her. I think he's pleading with her. He's saying, Martha, you're doing a lot of good things. You're going to miss it. I'm here. Martha, I see all your activity. I see all the, yes, good, that's great. You're missing me. And maybe that's a word to some of us, particularly in this season. Is there any season more crazy than right now where we have the potential, the massive potential to miss Jesus in our efforts to celebrate him? How ironic is that? That in the season that we were meant to truly, like God Emmanuel, his presence with us, we're distracted by many often very good things. Martha, Martha is a gesture of compassion and kindness to Martha, but also to us. He's saying, before you go and change the world, let me, let me change you. Now, a couple things about what's said here. The word worried here means pulled apart, and the word upset means dragged away. I just find that so resonate with me, again, as, as a bit of a Martha. I know a lot of followers of Jesus, myself included, who would find themselves in a very similar place. Does anyone else find themselves a little pulled apart? You're like, I'm here, but I'm not really here. Or I'm thinking about the next 20 tasks or that phone call or that text or that email or that thing with my boss or the guy at the cubicle next door or the neighbor that's a little bit bizarre. Whatever it is, we feel ourselves a little pulled apart or maybe you feel more dragged away. Anyone else have like phantom vibrations even when your phone's not on you? Anyone else is like a, like a ding of a notification makes you salivate like Pavlov's dog? You're just like, oh, I got to respond immediately. Like the, the tyranny of the urgent. Like we just feel like we're always on. I'm always responding. A lot of us are doing right things but missing out on God. Good things. 
holy things, but missing God. Martha's affliction is not that she just has a busy body, it's that she has a busy heart. Something in her, in her soul was not settled, and so she's doing all of these good things, but missing out on Jesus. I would say it this way, you were not created for a life you don't have time for. Some of us have convinced ourselves, like, I'm supposed to always be exhausted, always running ragged. It's not that the Lord doesn't call us to, like, good, hard, diligent work. Absolutely. You were, you were not called to a life you don't have time for. And yet we almost, like, depend on distraction to get through the day, don't we? Like, years ago, um, I went to court. Don't worry about it. And... <laughs> And uh, I had forgot that you can't bring your cell phone into court. So, you know, they got buzzed and I had to go leave it in my, in my car. And I came through and there was about a dozen of us sitting in this, in this waiting room. And there was this weird, it took me a second to realize, why did this room feel so weird? <laughs> and we're all kind of like looking awkwardly at each other. You know, you'd like kind of scan the room and then you'd make eye contact and you'd look down immediately. Like we didn't know what to do. And it took me maybe a minute or two and then I realized, oh, none of us have our cell phones, so none of us know what to do. Like, none of us, it was so bizarre. Grown human people, who weren't like animals in there, I don't know why I said that, uh, did not know how to just simply be present with one another for what was like a grand total of 15 minutes without our phone, without our distraction. We have outsourced all of that to like kind of being constantly dialed in. So maybe, for, like, it's not like a hospitality thing like Martha. Maybe it's like, oh, I can't stand just even simply being with people without distracting myself every three minutes. We desperately need a Mary spirit in a Martha world. We need people who hear God and respond in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus. What we don't need are sleepwalking Christians whose lives look just like the rest of the world. We don't need sleepwalkers like what I was doing for so much of my life, just sort of coasting and waiting until the next big thing happened and that's really when I was gonna arrive and that's when I was gonna take this seriously and that's when I was gonna make some decisions and running myself ragged. What if, what if there's a better way to live? Like the life that we were designed for a way that makes it possible for us to be more fully present to the presence of God. It's exactly into that kind of situation that Jesus says, come to me all who are weary, and I will give you what? Rest. One, he expects us to come to him weary once in a while. And what he doesn't say is like, I'll point you to rest, or I'll give you some ideas about rest. He says, I, I am your, I will give you rest. And then he says, take this yoke upon you. It's not a life without a yoke, but it's a life with a yoke that fits because he walks it with us. He's like, yeah, there will be work, but you're wearing a yoke right now that you were not designed for. You're going at a pace right now. Or you're listening to a script right now that is, not, that is not the yoke of Jesus. Come to me and I will give you like real rest, rest for your souls. And I had to come to terms with this and I still kind of am, to be honest. I take on more and more and more because I like being busy. I, I like the little hit of dopamine when someone looks over my shoulder and they go, boy, your calendar is packed. You're like, you're darn right it is. Right? Because deep down, what does that communicate? Oh, yeah, I'm busy because people require time of me. I, I so early on bought into the lie that I'm only as valuable as what I can produce. Anyone else there? Uh, which really means I'm only lovable if I'm accomplishing, if I'm achieving, if it's up and to the right. So yeah, I take on more and more because I like, I like the feeling of being busy or being needed. Often in an effort to prove my worth because I'm constantly evaluating what I'm bringing to the table. And I realized that that is actually pretty normal. But just because it's normal doesn't mean it's good. Just because something is common in our life, in culture, 
does not mean it was the life we were designed for. I love what Jacob said in Genesis chapter 28 after wrestling with God. He said these haunting words, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. I don't know about you, I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to live my life looking over my shoulder like surely God was in that. Surely God was doing something and I was just not aware of it. I was too distracted by whatever, probably even good things most of the time. Some of us will miss God not because of sin but because of distraction. Like so many, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pick on guys for a second. So many dudes will often approach me and they'll be like, show me the verse. I don't know why I gave guys that voice. It's like, a, I'm a guy, I just use my voice. Just... <laughs> Show me the verse. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> Some caveman. Show me the verse that says I can't. Show me the verse. Show me the verse that says I can't watch SportsCenter for 18 hours every Saturday. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, there's, there's not a verse. That would fall into the category of what I would call morally neutral. But if it does not stir your affections for Christ, you should kill it. You should put it to death. It's not just like, oh, where's the verse that says I shouldn't be doing that? The question we should be asking is, does that help me run? Does that help me run after Christ? Does that, does that make me a better husband and father? I'm not anti-sports center or hobby or recreation or downtime or even turning off your brain. I'm not any of that. I'm just saying so often we justify distracting ourselves. We're like, well, there's not a verse that says I can't. It's the wrong question. Does this make my heart come alive? Does this help me bear fruit for the kingdom? Most of us, We'll miss him, not because of sin, but because of distraction. We check our phones on average 96 times a day. We touch our phone an average of 2,617 times a day, an average of almost four hours per day spent on our phone, which comes to about 50 days a year, by the way. Are we comfortable with a, a month and a half? 47% of Americans consider themselves addicted. 53% have never gone without it for more than 24 hours. And 71% look at it within the first 10 minutes of every single day. Again, I'm not anti-technology or social media. I know it sounds like it right now. The question is not, are you a disciple? The question is, do you know what's discipling you? If our phone is the first and last thing we look at every single day, is it possible that's a formation device in our life? More so than maybe we would like it to? Is it possible that more than anything, we are simply distracted? I had a mentor, um, man, over 20 years ago, he asked a question of me, that ended up being weirdly prophetic in my life. He said, Ian, does your pace of life look like that of someone who actually wants to hear from God? And he asked it with that look in his eye, like mentors have, that knows the answer. He's like, yeah, I'm not gonna answer for you. Does your pace of life look like that of someone that actually wants to hear from God? You tell people that you wanna hear from God. You write about it, you probably even like taught about it or whatever. Does your, does your life actually look like that of someone that wants to hear from God? And the answer to me, very humbling, was uh, no. Not at all. I love the way that William Barclay put it. He said, it may well be that the whole trouble in our lives is that we give God no opportunity to speak to us because we do not know how to be still and to listen. We give God no time to recharge us with spiritual energy and strength because there is no time when we actually wait upon him. How can we shoulder life's burdens if we have no contact with him who is the Lord of the good life? The truth is, you will not, we do not drift accidentally towards Christ-likeness. It doesn't happen accidentally. So how do we learn to not only like discern, but to be aware of and enjoy God's presence? These suggestions will be pretty elementary to a lot of us, but maybe like a helpful reminder. The first should not surprise you, it's his word. 
It's prioritizing being in his word. I'd say it this way. The Bible is God's primary means of revelation. It's his primary means of revelation, and yet it's often the last place that we look. Right? We so often want, like, new revelation and new ideas and, and new, like, you know, clickbaity ways to say this or that. The Bible is God's primary means of revelation. Have you ever, um, like, idolized someone from a distance, and then, like, you had a conversation with them, and you're like, you are not at all like I thought you were. Anyone had that moment? The classic, like, don't meet your heroes. I've had a few of those who are like, I thought differently until this conversation. The Bible is God's way of saying, this is what I'm like. This, this is what I'm actually like. Do, do we actually expect God to speak to us in his word? I love the way that Hebrews 4 puts it. For the word of God is alive and active. That's usually where we stop, by the way. It's alive. It's God-breathed, as Paul wrote to Timothy. Then it goes on, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There should be times where we come to Scripture and it feels like surgery. Corey did such a good job of this last week, talking about, man, if, if every single time you are in the presence of Jesus, he never disagrees with you, it might be you that you're worshiping. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. It penetrates. Have you ever, like, read Scripture, like, as a, as a homeschooler, we had to read it from start to finish every year? I'm not bragging. That was just, like, a part of our curriculum. So I know that I've read it cover to cover, and still, decades later, I'm like, was that always in there? <laughs> You ever had that moment where something kind of like leaps off the page? You're like, well, I've been ignoring that one for a while. It just, it, it penetrates. It, it like reveals. It should. The Bible, the Bible is far more than just devotional or intellectual. It's his primary means of revelation. Do we actually anticipate meeting God through his word? And I'm not knocking devotions, by the way. I think, devo- I think devotions are great. Uh, as one pastor said it, he's like, devotions are seed substitute, not seed. Seed substitute is fine. Are we actually abiding in his word? Now, one of the principles that we've talked about for uh, a couple years here, at least, is the idea of scripture before screens. What if we just made a commitment in the new year? I'm not going to tell you how long or in what way. What if it was every day scripture before screens? Before we hop on Facebook or our email or whatever, what if we began? Would that not change maybe the way that we think about the world that we're occupying? Secondly, I believe that he reveals his presence through his spirit. And I don't have a lot of time to unpack this one, but like Galatians 5 was really, really impactful for me because it's the fruit of the Spirit passage. And I used to read the fruit of the Spirit as like a list of commands, you know? Like I need to be more loving, more patient, more kind. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I realized the only command in that section is walk in step with the Spirit. That's the command, the outpouring of which is then bearing this fruit. What does it mean to walk in step with the Spirit? It means asking God, um, where do you want to go today? How do you want to use me today? I heard this story this last week, actually, of the, uh, the Pensacola revival in the mid-90s. And there was a guy that was at the revival, and he showed up on a Monday, and he drove past a mall on the way to the revival, and he felt like the Lord unmistakably say to him, go into the mall, find a Coke machine, and stand in your head. And the guy was like, that, can't, that was last night's burrito. There's no way that's actually what my... So he ignored it. And then Tuesday, felt it again, but stronger this time. By Wednesday, it was even more intense. Thursday, he's like, this is driving me crazy. By the time it came uh, Friday, he, drove, he was driving past the mall. He's like, I, I cannot ignore this anymore. And so he pulls into the mall, walks in, and finds a, a Coke machine. 
and like reluctantly kind of meanders over to it and then stands on his head. A few seconds later, a security guard like sprints after him, which is unnerving, right? And the security guard goes, why did you just do that? And he's like, this is going to sound crazy. <laughs> I'm a Christian, though, and I'm here for this revival, and I felt like the Lord unmistakably back on Monday say to come in this mall and then go stand on my head. And the guard said, wasn't a, wasn't a Christian, said, on Monday, I told God, if someone doesn't come in this mall and stand on his head, I'm going to commit suicide. Today is Friday. Nothing had happened. And finally, I said, God, if, if it doesn't happen today, I'm doing it. And then you show up. And this man led the security guard to Christ right then and there. And like changed, changed the trajectory of this man's life like forever. And, I, and I'm, listen, it might not ever be something that dramatic, but you know what it might be? When God brings to mind someone to you randomly, where you're like, I should text him. And then we dismiss it like, ah, that'd be weird. I haven't talked to him in years, right? What if we just began being more obedient to like, you know what, I'm gonna, yeah, that might be weird. It might be uncomfortable, but I sent that text. My guess is some of you have been on the receiving end of such texts. Why would you text me out of the blue? Why would you call me out of the blue? I think God, if we're aware of his presence, is prompting and nudging us all the time, and yet we're so distracted, and our, our lives are far too noisy for us to actually hear him. What if we just began to be obedient in those small nudges? Those small, like, little promptings. We're like, yeah, that might, might seem weird doing that, but it might also be the lifeline that someone desperately needs. We see this, like the story of Pensacola, we see that stuff happen not only in the Bible all the time, not the Coke machine part, but everything else. But also all throughout history. And sometimes the question is, why don't we see it now? Why doesn't it happen to me? A couple of questions to ask. One, have you asked God? <laughs> have you asked God to speak to you like that? Two, do we cherish the voice of God above all other voices? Three, have you created the kind of life where God actually could speak to you? And four, maybe most convictionally, would you actually obey if he did? I'm saying this to myself, by the way. I have prayed so many bold, outward-facing prayers, like, Lord, use me, speak to me, and then he does. I'm like, no, not like that. <laughs> the hard pass, next, swipe. Would we actually obey? If he wanted to, would we be available? We get really practical. Like, what would change in our cities? If we, like, what if we all committed? Wherever you're at, watch it online, Murray County Jail here, Columbia, like, what if we spent the first 10 minutes of every single day and we simply prayed this prayer, God, here I am. What do you have for me today? Would that change the way that we talk to our boss and our coworkers and our kids and our neighbors? God, here I am. Would you speak to me? Would you reveal where your presence is already at work in our midst? We're not just called to know scripture verses. We're called to discern God's presence. This brings me to number three, his people. I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but I think it's worthwhile that the New Testament is filled with 59 one another's. We're, we're meant to do this thing in community. John Wesley said, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. I'm amazed at how many people have asked me throughout the years, how do I discern God's will for my life? And I asked them, what does your gospel community say? And they're like, oh. <laughs> God will speak to you through the gospel community that you seek out, which is a, a, a worthy reminder of this, that community is forged, not found. A lot of us think we just sort of like parachute into like amazing, wonderful, beautiful, life-giving community. And that probably sometimes happens to some of us. My guess is it's way more this. It's like the willingness to say, okay, you're a little quirky and we don't like the same, we don't have the same taste of music or whatever it is. A gospel community is way more forged than just found. 
And I would encourage you, this is my challenge to all of us, uh, between now and the new year, uh, you can go to bridge.tv slash rule of life. And a rule here is not, is not rules for life. The word rule is the word regula, which is where we get the word, um, it's the same idea of like a trellis. It's what you actually build. It's a structure so that a vine can bear maximum fruit. A vine on the ground will grow some fruit, right? But a trellis, a structure, how to think through, Lord, how do I bear maximum fruit in my life? It will help you kind of give a guide for how do I take seriously being with Jesus, becoming like him for the sake of the world. Do, you know, in your homes, with your small groups, with a friend, with a coworker, with a stranger, whatever. What would it look like for us in this next year to be intentional about tending to God's presence? Because here's the thing that I think we all intuitively know. Intimacy requires intentionality. Intimacy in our human relationships doesn't happen accidentally. It requires intentionality. And the reason that I think we often don't is this. We overestimate intensity and we underestimate consistency. And for some reason, like in a, in a lukewarm culture, discipleship can feel like legalism. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't want to, oh, like building a plan, that just feels a little, a little stale, Ian. Some of us are far more organized with our finances, our fitness, and our fantasy team than we are our relationship with God. What would it look like in this next year to say, okay, I know that these practices, this discipline, it doesn't save me. It doesn't even make God love you anymore, but it helps us live in and live out God's love, not just sensing his presence, but delighting in it. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To enjoy him forever. God's presence isn't something we're just supposed to sort of like discern and dissect. We're meant to enjoy it. What would that look like in our lives if we actually began to learn to both discern and enjoy God's presence in every season, even the tough ones? even the valleys. And in a season where like everything in the world is saying, do more, buy more, agree to more, sign up for more. What, if, what would it look like for us to begin to pray every morning, God, where, what do you have for me today? Here I am. What do you wanna do? Let's do that together. May it be said of us that we were people that not just simply knew about God, but regularly pray, God, give me eyes to see your presence at work in every aspect of my life. Give us a, a merry spirit in a Martha world. Thanks so much for joining us. And for those of you who support our mission, thank you for your joyful generosity. It's because you give that we're able to see lives changed forever by the gospel. You can click the link in the description of this episode to give now or go to bridge.tv for more information about our church. We believe the gospel is good news worth sharing. So if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to subscribe and share this episode with family and friends on social media. You can also tag us at bridgechurchtn. Thanks again for listening.